I was encouraged this past Sunday night in our study group that meets here at the building. We had a visitor with us, and um, they were so impressed with the idea of the church meeting together on Sunday nights in groups and unpacking the scripture and, and the lesson. And she made the comment, what a great way uh, to learn scripture together. I think one of the takeaways that stayed with me this week from Daniel chapter 6 was that Daniel prayed three times a day. And I think I put on your study guide there from the New American Standard Bible. It says, as he had been doing previously. That was his custom. That was normal for him. And we spent several minutes in our study talking about that, trying to understand, because to the best of my knowledge, we couldn't find in the law of Moses where that was a command, that you had to do that three times a day in that way. So why did he do that? And how did that come about? We don't know for sure. Maybe this was uh, a custom from his childhood. He grew up praying three times a day. That's what he was taught by his mom and dad. And so when he went out, went into exile, he just continued that. Or maybe it was because it was such trying times. And he was living in a pagan land that he knew he needed some kind of spiritual discipline. Some kind of focus to keep his mind on the Lord in a foreign country. Someone said to me this week, we were talking about Daniel some more, and they said, wouldn't you have loved to have heard Daniel's prayer? Just be on the fly on the wall? I said, yes, absolutely. I would have loved to have heard how he prayed. Today, I want to revisit a challenge that we gave back in January. You might remember in January, we spent a series of lessons about names. It was about being intentional about who you're going to pray for, who you're going to reach out to, who you're going to challenge. So the question I want to ask today is, what about those names? How are you doing with that? Because here's the way I see it. You have the keys to the food pantry. And you're surrounded by people who are starving. You know where the door is. Or we might say who the door is. And there's so many who want in. You know the best doctor. Or we might say the great physician. And we know so many people who are hurting. And each one of those have a name. They're a person. We have the best intentions, but we often say things and make generic statements like, I'm going to eat better. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to be like Jesus. But in all of those, as good as they are, they're so generic that you can't quantify them. How do you know that? They're so open-ended. So instead of saying, I'm going to eat better, we can be more specific and say, I'm not going to eat uh, any fried foods. Instead of saying, I'm going to exercise more, I'll say, I'm going to walk every day. Instead of saying, I'm going to be like Jesus, say, I'm going to forgive like Jesus. I'm going to love like Jesus. I want to serve like Jesus. I was reminded of that this week because Tuesday I had a quarterly checkup with my nurse practitioner. I think I mentioned to you before, she's fantastic. Um, and I enjoy my time with her. You know, being fit, being active is helpful for just general health, but especially in controlling diabetes. And she doesn't just ask me, are you exercising? She will ask me, how many days are you walking? And then she'll be quiet until I give her a number. And she wants the number. And I know that because it's coming every time she'll ask me. And I have to tell her the truth. And I can't fib because my number, she's looking at all the blood work. She knows how well I'm doing. I know what she's doing by asking that question. You know what she's doing by asking that question. And yet we need it. We need to be asked that question. We challenge for our own good. So I want to do the same thing today. I want to challenge you 
not tell you anything you don't already know, but challenge you to do what you want to do. What about those names? We started off the whole month of January talking about this, and I want you to have those names that you pray for. Pray for them specifically. And I know it may sound cheesy or, or, or maybe like a, a gimmick, but I think you need a reminder to write them down. Uh, look on the screen. This is a picture of my desktop at work. I have uh, two screens, but on there, what you see in that little scribble is a picture. It's a reminder card. If you were part of our prayer month in August, you might remember we had different focus each night. And one night we focused on our children and we were asked to take a card and pledge to pray for a child every day for this school year. And I grabbed one. I grabbed Cooper Eastep. And so Cooper is on my desktop at work. So every morning when I go and I'm turning on my computer screen, Cooper's right there looking at me. And it reminds me to pray for him. I will tell you, I would not remember that. I got so much to do, so much on my mind. If it wasn't there, that simple little thing. But when I see his picture, it reminds me. And I pray for him by name. I pray for his mom and his dad and his family. It's a good thing. And some of you do the same thing as well. I don't say that to brag on me. Please know, I'm, I'm confessing. I need a gadget. I need help. I mean, when I go to the grocery store, I've got to, if I get one thing, I write it down. Because I go in there and I see all these wonderful things. And I can walk out without the very thing I go in for. So I need that list. I need that reminder to do what I should do. If you looked at your study guide, your outline, you notice there's a post-it note on the bottom. And you might have just thought, oh my goodness, what are we doing now? It's not for your grocery list. I could have not put that there. In fact, I just first I had some blanks for you to fill in, but I thought nobody's going to cut that out and keep it. And you may not want the post-it note, but maybe that'll help. Take that post-it note, write down some names, maybe stick it in your Bible. Maybe stick it on your uh, mirror in your bathroom. Maybe put it on your desk at work. Maybe on your dashboard of your car somewhere where the very people you want to pray for, that you will pray for, to remind you to do what you want to do. When we pray, we're inviting God into our lives. We can think about Him. We can worship Him. We can live in His will. But prayer is a time where we're inviting God in. We're inviting God to work and to move. We need to understand that. Prayer is not just rote repetitions. It's not just careless statements that we go through. Prayer is a privilege. It is an honor. It's a priority for us. I think maybe the best definition I ever came across for prayer is very simply this. Prayer is a conversation between you and God. I think that's what it was with Daniel. I think it's what it can be for us as well. So today what I want to do for the first part of our lesson is just review what we did back in January. To give you some categories of some names to maybe encourage you to think about who can you put on your list. So I want to challenge you to write some names down. Let's go through the list. The first one, pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Paul says in Romans 12, 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And Jesus said similarly in Luke 6, 27, Love your enemies. Do good for those who hate you. Bless and curse you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. That is a hard thing to do. That is not our nature. It's just not part of our being a human to love your enemies. To pray for them, to ask God to do good 
for them. At best, we don't want to think about them, but much less to lift them up and ask God to do good things for them. See, that is loving them. That is wanting what's best for them. That's seeing them as a soul who has value. Someone who's created in the image of God. And that's why it's important for us as a Christian to do just that. To pray for our enemies. To love our enemies. Even though it's strange. Even though it's hard. Even though nobody else in the world would even think to do that. I like what Rick Warren says. Unkind people need your kindness the most. Because they advertise their pain. We know exactly what he means. Because they do. So you start praying for them. And you start praying for their good. That God would help them. That God would bless them. So here's another area to pray for. Pray for the lost. Pray for the unsaved. Those who don't know the Lord. Those who are not following the Lord. There are some that you can pray for. And praying for the lost may be where God does His best work. Because that's what God wants. God wants the lost to be saved also. He wants them to come to know Him. And to follow His Son Jesus. Somehow when we make our petitions known to the Lord. Especially where we're repeatedly praying for that lost person by name. After weeks and weeks and months and months and sometimes years and years, what great joy it is to see that prayer answered. It's a beautiful thing. Someone said this, we ought to talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. I think there's some truth there. Lift them up. Talk to them. Talk to God about them. Or will you make a difference? Will you help them? If need be, use me. Let me know what to do. Help me know what to say. Pray specifically for them by name. That you would have the right spirit. And then if given the opportunity, the right words. But it starts by opening your eyes. It starts by maybe writing their name down. Thinking about them. Being aware. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In order that you may know the hope to which he called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's an amazing prayer that Paul states there. An amazing thought. And when you read through the rest of Ephesians 1. You get the idea of the concern that our prayer, our desire is for people to be saved. For their identity to be found in Jesus Christ. That's the jersey that they wear, if you will. And when they do that, it's a game changer. Because when you find your identity in Christ, that affects everything. It affects your attitude. It changes the way you you look at things. It affects the way you make decisions. How you manage your money. Your worth is found in Him. When you gain your identity in Christ, He becomes your guiding force. Number one in your life. Too many people think of the church as being some type of religion where it's all about the rituals. It's all about the actions. But wherever that comes from, it doesn't come from the Bible. Because Jesus spent so much of His ministry on earth explaining that He was God in the flesh and what He was interested in are not your sacrifices, but a relationship with Him. And He came in person to teach us what that looked like and what that means. And we reach lost people. By helping them to understand there is a God in heaven who loves them. Loves them enough to come to earth and die for them. To make a way for them to go to heaven to be with God. That's who He is. And that's the good news of the gospel. So we regularly pray that God will soften their hearts. That God would use circumstances, good things, even trying things. To soften their hearts. To hear Him. 
and we turn it over to God, we let Him do the heavy lifting. We know He's the one that can make it happen. I kept thinking this week about little three-year-old Michael. Remember I told you the story about his mom reading to him in bed about Daniel and the lion's den? And his prayer was not for God to deliver, but for God to give him his gun so he could shoot the lions. And how we're that way. That we pray instead of God to work, we pray for God to, to do it all through us. But I challenge you to not be like Michael, but instead pray in faith and let God work. We don't always have to shoot the lions. Maybe God can just close their mouths. And everybody wins. Our feeble efforts to bring the lost to Christ are like having a water gun in the lion's den. It's not up to us. It's not our gospel. It's not our story. It's not our message. It's all Him. And prayer reminds us of that. So let's pray for the lost. Number three, another group to pray for is our local and national leaders. I think again, I think we're reminded of that this week with the election. As much as ever to pray from our president to our council in the city to our governor to our senators to everyone. Pray for them. You know, the election may have been a surprise to a lot of us, but it wasn't a surprise to God. And we know that God can use good people and evil people. To carry out his will. We see that in scripture. We saw that in Daniel. God does that sometimes. It's our responsibility then to pray for them. Whoever they are. Whether we voted for them or not. 1 Timothy 2.12 says. uh, 2 verses 1 and 2. I urge you then first of all that requests. Prayers. Intercession and thanksgiving be made by everyone. And then he lists verse 2. For kings. For those in authority. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So pray for our leaders of our country. But number four, I want to also encourage you to pray for our spiritual leaders. Pray for our elders who shepherd this church. Who try to teach us truth and, and guide this church in the way that's right. I would say every Bible class teacher, every home Bible study leader, every teacher of a child's uh, class, uh, every deacon, want your prayers. Love it for you to pray for them. Because they know they need help with that. There's a passage in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed. Who correctly handles the word of truth. It's a prayer for all of us. But especially those in a leadership position. The greatest thing you can do for our elders is to pray for them. It's an honor. I know when people pray for me as a minister... It's the most you can do to ask God to bless us, to stay true to the word, stay faithful to his calls, but also have boldness and courage to speak that truth and do so with love and kindness. Sometimes it overwhelms me when people tell me they're praying for me. And yet I'm so honored by that. I want to return the favor. The most we can do is say thank you for that. Here's another area. Number five, pray for your neighbors. Maybe this came to mind already when we said make a list. Pray for your neighbors. Are there some people you could be lifting up? And it's really not hard to do. Maybe you know about them and so you're praying for them. And look for an opportunity to say, hey, I've been praying for you. I know you've not been well. How's it going? Are you feeling better? Or maybe you know that they've been having a busy work, a big project. And you say, hey, I've been praying for you and your project. How's it coming? Is, are you coming to the end? I mean, you could just look and say, man, you've got the best Christmas decorations on the block. But it's May. When are you going to take them down? You know, just look for an opportunity to speak to them and let them know you're thinking about them. 
But that means you need to know them. Do you know your neighbors by name? So think of the names you could write. Even if you don't, you can still pray for your neighbors. As you drive out of the, the driveway and go down the road every week, every morning, to pray for them. I talked with Danny Sorrell this summer. Danny Sorrell is the preacher at the Campbell Street Church in Jackson. And they have a, uh, a prayer emphasis during the summer as well on Wednesday nights. But they did something this, this summer that was unusual. So I called him and asked him about it. Instead of meeting in the building and praying, they got out. Similar to how we've adopted Cox Middle School, they went to a different school each week. And they would grill hot dogs and invite the community to come in and, and eat with them. And then they'd gather together and pray. And then they would divide up into groups. And they went and they canvassed on every road, every neighborhood in that school district. Praying for them. Praying for your neighbors. I was so encouraged to hear that idea. Here's number six. And maybe it's what you think of with your neighbors as well. Pray for your coworkers. You spend a lot of time with these people. Maybe the most of your time with these people. Pray for your co-workers. I wonder if Daniel did that. You think Daniel prayed for his co-workers? I think so. I think Daniel prayed for Nebuchadnezzar. I think Daniel prayed for Darius. Do you think he prayed for his fellow administrators? Do you think he prayed for the ones who came up with this plot to kill him? There are people in your world, people in your life, you can pray for. I think Daniel well understood that work is a mission. The marketplace is a mission field. So who are you praying for? Maybe it's a person in the cubicle right next to yours. Maybe on the line at work next to yours. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's an employee. You know their name. And you can pray for them by name. What if, as you were going to work, you think about it as a mission trip? So before you get out of the car, you just take a moment, shut the engine off, and just pray. Just spend a few moments talking to God and think about how similar that prayer would be to if you were about to board a plane at Nashville Airport, about to go to a different country, a different culture on a mission trip. Lord, use me to be a light in the midst of darkness. Help me to be Jesus to those who don't know Him. Help me to serve without expectations. Some ways, Lord, I'm very different from these people that you'll surround me with for the next several hours. Their language is different from mine. Their values, their customs are different than mine. I'm sure there will be times where I'll feel out of place. There may be times where I feel that all their eyes are looking at me. But remind me, Lord, this is a mission field and I'm here to represent you. Help me to be a person of integrity and assure me that I'm not alone, that you're here with me. To the end of my shift. To the end of the world. Pray that prayer this week. And then number seven. This is an easy one to think of. Pray for those who are hurting. That may be the first thing that comes to mind. Those who are sick, we, we think about them. And we don't have to remind each other there's pain in this world. Pain from divorce. Pain from financial struggles. Pain from relational troubles. And God is knocking at the door calling them. And sometimes these trials can draw people to God. Sometimes it seems to repel them away. What a key time to pray for those who are hurting. When I think of this, 
these words, praying for the hurting, <clears throat> I think of wise words from our own Tommy Hemphill. He's made a statement I've heard him say several times. Maybe you've heard it as well. Just being concerned with people at church. And he said, you know, if we could look and see each other's pains and hurts, if they were true physical wounds, it would be so obvious. I think he made the statement, there'd be blood all over this place. Because there's a lot of pain and a lot of hurting. And he would use the phrase, the walking wounded. You've heard that term, haven't you? I've heard Tommy use that many times. There's walking wounded amongst us. And we need to pray for them, lift them up. See, sometimes the struggles are obvious. There's a homeless person, a hungry person that comes into your realm of work or life or you see them and you know, hey, they need groceries. But there's some people, they can pay their bills. Maybe they're even affluent. But that doesn't mean that they don't have pain and there's not a struggle. They still need our prayers. There's so many more categories, but I'm going to share one more. Probably the first one you thought of. Pray for family. Pray for your family because they mean the most to us. They mean so much to us. They're nearest and dearest to our heart. So we should be praying for them. But let me challenge you to be specific about that. What do they need? Instead of just saying, God bless and, and share that my name, what do they need? And, and how can God work? Like if you've got an aging father who's not sleeping well, then before you go to bed, you pray, God, bless my dad with a good night's rest. Because you know that's going to help them the next day to feel so much better, to think clearly. If you've got a young child who's maybe got an attitude problem, and we'll use that phrase, you get up on the wrong side of the bed, maybe we need to go to bed praying that they'll get up on the right side of the bed. That they'll make good choices. Be specific with our prayers. Pray for them specifically. Understand that prayer unleashes the power of God in our homes. It's inviting God to work among the people that mean so much to us. I hope some people have come to mind. You saw that post-it note there on your outline. That's not for your grocery list. For names. Use it if you need to. Throw it away if you want to. Do something. Daniel decided to pray three times today. Why? We don't know, but he did. And we see how well it served him. How good it was for him. I think, you know, you may not need a post-it note. That may not be for you. But do something. If we can put a Fitbit on our wrist to remind us to move... Can't we do something to remind us to pray? Use one of your electronic gadgets. Remind you to pray. Specifically. Repeatedly. We are striving to be completely committed followers of Jesus. But if you're not praying, you're not striving very hard. You're not following very much. I think this is a very key indicator of our commitment. Look back again at Ephesians 1. Let's look at this verse. Verse 18 and 19 again. Notice the word eyes. Notice the word eyes here. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Open your eyes. See that hope. To see that, those riches. To understand that power. And know that it's there. That was Paul's prayer. Open your eyes and see. 
Peter Kreeft is a Christian philosopher and a professor at Boston College. He said this, if we saw the difference, if we saw the difference, even the tiniest of our prayers make, and all the people that those little prayers were destined to affect, and all the consequences of those prayers down through the centuries, we would be so paralyzed with the, with the, at the awe of the power of prayer that we would be unable to get up off of our knees for the rest of our life. I think he's right. Last week we saw that in Daniel chapter 6 where Daniel made a decision every day to pray three times a day. And he was faithful to that, commitment to that. But as we look at that story, we'll use the phrase, and he opened his windows toward Jerusalem. And maybe he did open his windows toward Jerusalem and then he knelt down to pray. But that's not what the text says. I went back this week and I read Daniel 6 verse 10 in every translation I could find in my library and online. And really what it reads there is, as is mentioned in, in, in the NIV, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Meaning the, the windows were already open. Maybe he did open them. Maybe that's true. But the way the text renders it, see it could be that all the windows of his house were open. He just chose to kneel before the ones that faced Jerusalem. See, if we were writing that today or saying that today, we might say the windows that faced Jerusalem. And that's really what the text indicates there. But again, why? Why did he do that? Well, I studied a little further this week because I wanted to know why I pray toward Jerusalem. And I found a prayer of Solomon. It was at the time where the temple was built. And go back with me for just a moment. Think about that time. It was their first temple. They never had a temple before. All they had was this roving tabernacle. And in that tabernacle, you remember, was the ark of God. And the ark represented the very presence of God. Do you remember that? Like it was used in battle and when it was taken away from them, it was a moment of shame. And so that ark represented God's presence with them. And so... The temple was built. It was the moment to move in. So the ark was about to be placed. And this was key. This was big. So Solomon invited the assembly to gather, the priests and all the people. He lifted his hands toward heaven. And in 2 Kings 8, verse 23, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 8, 23, it says, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love and your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. I read that verse and I think of that song. You know, it's been put to music. And we sing those words. What a wonderful thought. See, Solomon was acknowledging that God wants to be with His people. He doesn't want to be removed. He doesn't want to be distant. He wants to be right there with them. And God's presence would be right there in the temple. This was big. This is a major moment. Look at verse 27. But will God really dwell on earth? See, even Solomon realized, wait a minute. You can't limit God like that. The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet Solomon knew what the temple meant. Solomon knew what the temple represented. He knew with the ark coming into the temple... This would be a holy moment, a pivotal moment for God and His people. So look at Solomon's prayer. What he asked of God, verse 29. 
May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day. This place which you said, my name shall be there so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. He continues this prayer 50 verses in chapter 8. And he mentions several situations where people might need to pray to God. Maybe a man wrongs his neighbor or, or, or when they're defeated or when there's drought or famine or some other disaster. When anyone is reaching out to know God or when you sin against your neighbor, there's a sin problem. And he repeatedly tells the people, pray toward Jerusalem. You pray toward their temple. That God's eyes would be open to them and hear their prayers. And then he closes with these words in verse 52. May your eyes be open to your servant's plea and to the plea of your people Israel. May you listen to them whenever they cry out to you. I have one more blank for you to fill out. And this is the takeaway for this. You pray with your eyes wide open. You pray with your eyes wide open that God's eyes will also be open. You be focused. You be intentional. You call Him by name. If you want to take God seriously, then you take Him seriously. You know, sometimes when we have a little toddler and they're learning to pray, and they can't think of anything to pray, and so you'll open your eye, and you notice their eyes are open, and they're going around the room, and they're thanking God for the rocker, and for the picture on the wall, and, and they're naming everything they can see, and we kind of snigger, isn't that cute? But maybe we can learn from them. Open our eyes and pray. Solomon's, I mean, uh, Daniel's prayer was intentional. By design, three times a day, Facing Jerusalem. It was a posture. It was a decision. It was an acknowledgement. And you and I need the same thing. Do whatever you've got to do to remind yourself to pray. Focus on Him. Open your eyes. And open His as well. And His eyes will be open to your plea. We're going to stand and sing an invitation song. And really what an invitation is, is a prayer to God. God, I hear you. God, I believe you. God, I, I need you to save me. If you've never confessed the name of Jesus Christ, that you believe He's the Son of God, never had your sins washed away in baptism, we always have the water ready. And this invitation is for you. Or if we can pray for you, understand that's the most we can do. And we're so eager to mention you by name to our Lord. Won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage?